Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network MJ, a memory of my sister Marsha Joyce And it's pouring outside So this is great because we have the author of Landslide, Adam Sykes here, and we're going to talk about his book, and it says on the back of the cover, International Arms Private Military Companies, Corruption at Every Turn. Whoa, it's almost like what you read about in the news. So good morning, Adam, and welcome to MJ Network. Good morning, Fran. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you this morning. So give us a little summary and background, and the prologue really was interesting, it sets the tone for the events to come. How did you create that? Yeah, well, uh, I started writing this book in 2018, and I intentionally wanted to choose a, a topic and a, mm-hmm. and a setting that was not in the news. So back in 2018, uh, there was stuff going on in eastern Ukraine because uh, uh, the Russian Federation had annexed Crimea back in 2014, and I chose that because it was interesting, but it wasn't really news headlines, because if you try to pick a news headlines, oftentimes Mm. by the time you've written it and it's published, those headlines are old and the world's taken a different direction. So I started Mm. writing in 2018. Well, then, you know, when when the manuscript was going to the typesetter in... February 2022, that's when the Russian Federation invaded Ukraine. So it was this this complex situation there on what to do. But the prologue starts in Ukraine, and mm-hmm. you're introduced to one of the, what will become one of the principal characters. And he's in Ukraine, but you don't know really who he is or what he's doing. There's some you know very suspicious circumstances. He's going to be meeting with a Russian inside Ukraine. And over the course of the con, uh, the conversation and the situation, things start getting tense, suspicion. And at the very end of the prologue, there's a sudden and intense action that just drops off right at the end of that scene right there. And what that does, that moment right there where we meet this character who is called Henry Delgado, that mm-hmm. sets up what will become the rest of the book. I know. Now, the scary part, well, Mason, tell us about his background, but the scary part was my next question. I mean, you know, you read the newspaper, and all of a sudden, you think somebody is not alive, and then you see a picture of him in the newspaper? It's like, that is like, holy God. So how did you create the news report and the picture of his friend, and he was like, oh, my God? Yeah, so... The main character of Landslides is this gentleman by the name of Mason Hackett. 
And he's got a troubled background. Uh, he's running from it, actually. He's a former Marine. He was a Marine Corps officer and served in Iraq, uh, what would it be, 20 years ago now. And mm-hmm. after his second tour in Iraq, which was pretty pretty, pretty hard, pretty tragic, a lot of bad things happened, uh, just in combat with the, the men he lost, the things he was involved with, the things he saw, he decided to run away, so to speak. And so he got out of the Marine Corps, and he goes over to London, and he essentially starts working for a bank and doing some financial research for them. But he kind of uses his background a little bit because he's able to go to the places in the world that most people probably would not put on their vacation list. We're talking, you know, the pirate-infested waters off of Somalia, you know, elements of, you know, the Middle East. Uh, Central America, in Africa, he he goes to some of these um, conflict areas to do financial research for this investment firm he works for. So he kind of uprooted his life to go over there because he's hiding from his past. And you can tell from the first chapter Mm -hmm. and the second chapter that he's got a lot of baggage. (laughs) He's got a lot of baggage he's trying to recover from. He doesn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And it's told from the first person, so you get into his head. That's what made it really what interesting. It, though, yeah, but then what sparks it is when he sees this news report yeah. of his friend who should have, well, that he thought died 15 years ago in Ramadi, Iraq. He thought he saw his best friend, his brother-in-arms, a man as close as a blood brother, thought he saw him die in Ramadi after a battle. But now, 15 years later, and what is the present? Mason sees his friend, his face, on the news with a different name, with a different background, and he was a news reporter in eastern Ukraine. And the readers can connect pretty quick that the gentleman we met in the prologue is the same person. And this this man, whose name is Henry Delgado, has been Mm. captured by Ukrainian separatists in eastern Ukraine. And that's what really sparks the story. That is scary. This whole thing with the Ukraine is upsetting and horrible, too. And oh, it is. Uh, and the sad part is is that the people that are doing it actually feel that they're justified. They're a little off the wall. Uh, it's never going to end. Like this whole everything else that happens in this world, that's so sad. So it's horrible, I mean, especially right now with, yeah. um, with the winter coming and uh, some of the uh, – the, the actions in East Ukraine have affected the power grids and the heating systems, and it's going to be yeah. cold there. And just so many innocent displaced people have been affected unnecessarily by this conflict. And he doesn't care. The sad part is he actually yeah. feels justified. He wants the territory where, why, why, you know something, when they said he was sick, I was hoping that he would really be sick. And I don't wish, de- <laughs> you know, illness on anybody, but if anybody deserves COVID and monkeypox, he does. Permanently, it, it, it's <laughs> yeah. sad. So tell us about Ramani, and why does he want to find him? Why the loyalty? Yeah, so this connection that Mason, the main character, has mm-hmm. with this mm-hmm. other guy that he saw on the screen, like I said, they were they were best friends. They were brothers. They were in the Marine Corps together. So they went through what's called TBS, the basic school together, and that's where... 
uh, civilians who want to become Marine officers, they learn how to become mm. a Marine officer. And then they went through IOC together, Infantry Officers Course. They went through a couple of years of training together, and then they were assigned to the same infantry unit. They were assigned to the same infantry unit. They were involved in the, uh, the initial invasion of Iraq in 2003. They went back again to Ramadi, and Ramadi is part of the Sunni Triangle, which was where some of the most intense fighting of the Iraq War occurred. I served Mm -hmm. in Ramadi uh, myself Mm -hmm. when I was Marine in 2004-2005, and Mm. I know quite a few other folks that were around the area as well in Fallujah and other components. It was a really tough area. Uh, When I talk to people about it, I usually refer to it as a meat grinder. I mean, there was so much going on there, it was just chewing people up, and it was hard. So the connection between Mason and and this Henry Delgado, though, Mason knew this guy as Kevin Gomez. When Mason knew him, his name was Mm -hmm. Kevin Gomez, and they were the Marines together, and they were in Ramadi. And what happens is Gomez was the commander of the, the Marine Infantry Battalion Sniper Unit, and there's an engagement one day where Gomez is essentially surrounded, outnumbered, and all hell is breaking loose. And Mason was responsible for the quick reaction force that day, where if anybody really got into a really tough jam, his Marines and him would go try to help them. Long story short, when uh, Gomez, also known as Delgado, when Gomez gives the call to say that they're under intense pressure Mason tries to rescue him. It doesn't happen. A lot of Marines die or get wounded. And this event right here traumatizes Mason. And then he sees his best friend die. Mm. He thinks he sees him die on a gurney in a hospital unit after that engagement. And that's what really kind of sent Mason off to London and these other places. He's trying to forget his past. But that's their connection. And in that connection, Mm. they had also swore that they would always come to each other's aid. So before mm-hmm. any of this, these, these engagements and fighting happened, they had swore to each other that no matter what happened, once they, once they went into a rock, they would help each other out. So that's some of the guilt that plagues Mason. Mm-hmm. And now he's seeing who he thinks is Gomez, named Delgado. He's seeing him on the television screen as a reporter kidnapped in eastern Ukraine. I wonder sometimes, you know, like you know, people make these, you know, promises and stuff. It's amazing that he kept the promise because I wonder how many people in real life really would keep a promise like that. You know, we're still alive just because somebody was close to them. That's called real loyalty. I'll tell you that. That's probably why I like this. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. There's so. there's something about, and it doesn't just have to be people that have served yeah. in the men and women who have served in the military. Police officers, firefighters, yeah, even best friends. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you connect with somebody, or you yep. internally have this sense of loyalty that if somebody was to call and ask for help, you would do anything you could to go help them. And that's some of what Mason's character is. No, I agree with you. When my sister died, I lost my my link to sanity, and my cousin, who lives in Florida. We sort of text this morning, text each other each morning to see if we're alive and we're okay. 
and <laughs> she had she had surgery, and I yelled at her for not calling the doctor. I said, "Get your butt to the doctor because you're only getting worse." So yeah, that's that. You're right. So this is really cool. I always wanted to know how you do this. What job and personality did they create for him? And how do you create a separate personality for someone? And what happens when Mason receives an email from Delgado? Well, you know, he's going to not, you know, ignore it. But how do you create a whole other world for somebody and nobody knows it? That's so cool. Yeah. There's going to be a few spoilers in this. In oh, this you don't have to answer. I mean, you could just say pass on to the next one. No, no, I think it's good because it all it all sets up the story right in the beginning. You know, I don't think we can yeah. talk about some of this without doing a few spoilers. But what we find out a couple chapters later, I think the next chapter is Mason gets this very mysterious email that is from his friend Kevin Gomez saying that I'm in trouble. I need some help. And there's also element of this email that tells Mason to contact this other guy he knows named Doug, who was with with Mason in Iraq 20 years ago. So Mason calls this guy up, and what we quickly learn is that Doug is a member of the CIA. And over this very intense conversation with Mason and Doug going back and forth, they end up in Paris, and they're, they're talking about it. Doug reveals to Mason that his friend Kevin, Kevin Gomez, never died. It was all mm. a setup. It was all a setup. And that Kevin Gomez has assumed the life of Henry Delgado, which is the person that's that Mason saw on the TV. And the whole reason for this was it so Henry Delgado, the former Kevin Gomez, could do covert action on behalf of the United States government as a CIA operative. And we learn about this thing called the program, which is a very sensitive, secretive CIA operation where operatives are trained and they are given very, very deep cover so that they can go off and do these covert actions on behalf of the U.S. government, some of the most sensitive operations out there. And that's where Henry Delgado is. He's a part of this thing called the program, and he was mm. on a mission in eastern Ukraine. But this conversation between Mason and Doug is not really friendly. There's a lot of tension. They don't necessarily yeah. like each other. But that conversation right there is where there's a lot revealed to Mason and where he's pushed off on his journey. He sort of forced to do it. He was horrible, Doug. I didn't like this guy at all. He's meeting him, and he sort of sets him on a collision course of no return. So why does he feel, what would happen if he didn't do it? Because Doug is dangerous. I know that. Yeah, Doug isn't really a nice guy. Yeah, I remember that one. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's got questionable um, views and loyalties. Uh, he's complex. There's a lot going on there. He initially tells Mason, you know, don't go anywhere near this thing. The only reason he revealed any of this to Mason Mm -hmm. is because, you know, they had a history. And Doug is like, okay, you know this guy. You know something's going on. In Doug's mind, it's like, well, i got to tell you something. Otherwise, you're just going to try to keep pulling Mm -hmm. back the onion to make it worse. 
So he reveals some of this stuff to him. But he doesn't want Mason to do anything because Doug comes right out and says, we're not going to go help Delgado. We're not going to go help your friend. We've got to leave him mm. over there because the risk is too... The risk is too great. If we were to try to rescue him, the operation that they were running could be subverted. Why was it? I mean, that's so horrible. Somebody's doing something for you, and yet you're ready to, and I've heard it before, they sacrifice their lives, and they don't care. They literally don't care. So what about the deaths and the program? I mean, seriously, how how did they do that? How could they, you know... They, basically, Delgado wasn't dead. So how do you how do you pretend that somebody's dead? And everybody believes everybody that he was dead, including Mason. Yeah, well, they they orchestrated uh, the death certificate. They had a fake funeral. They orchestrated this whole thing to make it appear all of you know Kevin Gomez's relatives, his parents, that he actually did die in Ramadi. And then what they did was Henry Delgado, he was another real person. Mm. And he was in, he was, a, he, was a, he was a Spaniard. And so what they did is they kind of looked for a profile of somebody who's kind of a loner, who mm. maybe is, um, doesn't have many family or social connections. And they approach this individual, and it's a long development process. And they say, hey, would you be, you know, in time, would you be willing to assume a new life? We're going to give you a place to live. We're going to set you up with money, and we're going to relocate you to this place. But we're going to take your identity, and we're going to give it to somebody else. Mm. And so that's how this this uh, death and this situation work together so that now – Gomez, who is the special operative, can assume the identity and live the life of somebody different so that if anybody was to ever look at Henry Delgado's past, they'll see that he was Spanish, has nothing to do with special operations or the Marine Corps or anything like that, and now he can go into various countries of the world without suspicion by another intelligence service or an adversary because he's living the life of somebody who wouldn't do those things. That's scary. And the other person is either dead or just doesn't, is told, don't say anything. That's scary. So, I mean, you read about the government. Well, they're, mm-hmm. set, they're set up pretty nice. They would be, they would be set yeah. up pretty nice. And I think, uh, I would imagine it would be rewarded. Yeah. 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 It's not a bad idea though. Hmm. Yeah. They wouldn't <laughs> want to be me. A book reviewer, an educator, yeah. <laughs> so you never know <laughs> what governments yeah. are involved. I mean, you know, you read about the government and you wonder sometimes, like, oh God, why don't they grow up and stop acting like little babies, playing playing games? I, I want this, you can have that. I don't like you because I'm bigger than you. I can't stand that. So what governments involved and what branches? And Mason, I love this guy. He won't let it go. And no matter what happens, he's going to do what he has to do to save his friend. So, what? How many government? How governments are involved? And why would they? Well, why wouldn't they get involved? So, how common? He won't let it go. How come? I don't blame him. Well, he won't let it go because you know 
Kevin Gomez, now Delgado. Yeah, it was his best friend. He just can't let him yeah, can't I know. let him go like that. He's gotta he's gotta do what he can to try to help him. And Delgado asked him in the email, he says, I need some help. Mm. But the governments and the in the organizations are involved. Yeah, there's a interesting cast of characters here. You know, the CIA yeah. is involved, so the US government's involved. Uh the Russian Federation is involved. We don't know specifically who within the Russian government, but it's definitely some intelligence mm. services. Uh, there's Ukrainian separatists that are involved. And again, I wrote this before the Russian Federation invaded Ukraine. But even so, you know, mm. there has been a lot of, in, in the real world, there was a lot of separatists in conflict in eastern mm. Ukraine when Russia annexed Crimea. You know, there was this whole border conflict that was going on for years before the war actually started. So there's separatist groups, paramilitaries operating in eastern Ukraine. They're involved. And then you have private military companies. You have this company called the Hess Group. And they're mm-hmm. essentially what we would call a private military company. So they're not under a U.S. government, but they have formed themselves to do you know, various type of military-style actions. And these are real companies that have grown tremendously since 2001, and they are operating all over the world. Some of them do, you know, personal protective details, or maybe they are, you know, uh, doing security services, but they also get into the questionable realms of legality with arms trafficking, and they're supporting... Um, insurgencies or other types of conflicts. So mm. the Hess Group is a paramilitary group. There's an arms dealer. There's an international businessman. On all these kind of characters, mm. we're all bumping into each other with various types of connections. And Mason, without knowing it, is in the middle of it because he is trying to make his way to help Delgado, who's all the way in Ukraine, and along his journey, he is bumping into people left and right who are coming after him, or he's trying to avoid them, or he's trying to understand what he's involved in. And as mm. the plot continues, as the story continues, you know, it keeps getting deeper and deeper and murkier and murkier. murkier. Well, wait till they read the ending with that Katili. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> we won't give that away. I was like, I read the last page and I go, yeah, okay. Which means there's going to be more people. <laughs> yeah. I, I could see where you can bring back some of the rotten people. Don't bring Doug back. Well, if you do, what can I say? Um, who, who is Miguel, Mikhail Petrov, and what is his role in relationship to Delgado? And who else is on his team, and why is he worried about not getting the information needed? Hmm. Yeah, so Mikhail Petrov, he is one of the antagonists. He's one of the with the bad yeah. guys. And he he's a part of this this company called the Hess Group. So he's excuse me. That's he's okay. a part of this yeah, he's a part of this private military company and he is one of the people that's involved in the detention of Delgado. So he helped kidnap Delgado in eastern Ukraine. But he's got some masters that he's kind of reporting to in Moscow. And he's also got this international businessman who's also involved in the the arms network 
he's connecting with. And there's a lot of suspicion about who Delgado is. They kind of know that Delgado isn't his real name. They know that he's, mm. you know, somebody a part of what they have very little information about is the program. They have suspicions about these things, and they're trying to get information out of Delgado. So they have detained him mm. in a not-so-pleasant facility in eastern Ukraine, and he's going through interrogations, and they're trying to get information out of here to learn about the program, to learn why he was in eastern Ukraine, and in some ways trying to figure it out so they can stop whatever it is going on. That's the sad part is, I mean, how many how many novels have I read? In the thousands. No, I'm serious. It's scary. And everybody that's interrogated, they want to beat the crap out of them. And they have to beat them up. They never figured they could get it just like by saying, you know, you better do this or that, or they threaten a family or something. That's what's really scary. And poor Delgado, he felt like, it sounded like a punching bag after a while. It's pretty, pretty, he, he took an awful lot. So who who there's another guy here I'm not crazy but who too is Teleski and and how does elaborate on why Mason gets involved in a threat and they keep threatening my poor guy that's not right <laughs> seriously yeah, Teleski is <laughs> yeah they got to threaten a little bit otherwise the story would lose some of its intrigue <laughs> I know but, but I got uh, scared Teleski, I thought he was gonna yeah. get killed and beaten up you can't do that to my guy here. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you had that connection with Mason. Yeah, I hope he's likable. Uh, but Teleski, he is one of the – he's an arms dealer. So he was somebody who was running guns, so buying and shipping weapon systems, and he was supplying them to the Ukrainian separatist forces. And so, again, it's this convoluted network where you have this arms dealer, Teleski, who's the broker for these weapons. Mm. You have somebody like Mikhail Petrov, who's a part of this Hess group, who's helping transport and run the weapon systems and get them into Ukraine, as well as do other stuff. He's the one who detained uh, Delgado. And then the Russian government is loosely involved in this. Again, this is before the invasion of mm-hmm. you know February 2022, so Russia is covertly causing uh, supporting the conflict in eastern Ukraine for the, for the separatist forces. And then you had this international business conglomerate run by uh, Victor Leos, who's kind of this international well-known businessman, but he's got his side business in the underworld. Mm-hmm. And they're all kind of connected, making money off each other and doing nefarious things in a not-so-nice way. And so that's this connection between, essentially, the, the antagonists of the story. You have this weaselly guy, Mikhail Petrov, who's part of the Hess group. Mm. You've got um, the Russian government. You've got Viktor Leos. You've got Telexky, the arms dealer. It's essentially, these cast characters, and <clears throat> Mason is learning about them as he's going. And they know about him. They know about him because when he starts off on his journey, you know, they're aware of the email that got sent. They heard a few other things, and they want to stop him. They don't know who this guy is. 
And so they kind of try to set up a few roadblocks on on Mason's journey to help his friend. Yeah, but he can't kill him off because he's my favorite character in the book. This is what happens when I start to read. I was getting so upset, I felt like the poor guy was a punching bag. And then we have Garrett and John, and they're on different sides, and they were threatening Mason too. He can't. He can't win. Yeah, he will. Yeah, those are. Those are one-scene minor characters that, that get yeah. injected into the story. And, you know, they're, they're on different sides, but they're kind of either they're trying to get information or they're trying to warn Mason off. And Mason being a stubborn, the stubborn guy he is, this just riles him up even more. And once that happens, there's no way he's not going to go try and help his friend. Now, this is a question that I sometimes ask. My questions come from the fact that my reading masters made me smarter than ever than I was before. So I learned how to look past some some of the stuff on the page. So when I ask my questions, I'm not going to ask you why you wrote the book or anything. I'm going to try to stick to something that my people want to know. So one of the questions that I was wondering was, how many settings are used and why? How did you decide where everything takes place? Because it was so authentic. I felt I was in the battles, too. And how does this in some way mirror what happens in the news today, just the way you described it? Yeah, there are quite a few different settings in here. I mean, yeah. the, the, the story starts off in eastern Ukraine, and then we meet Mason in Frankfurt, and Mason then goes to London, and then he's in the Czech Republic, and he's on this journey, and he ends up in uh, uh, Romania at some point, and then he's in Moldova and finally gets in Ukraine. So... We're, we're traveling with Mason because he wants to go help his friend, but at the time, he knows he just can't just hop a flight on United and fly mm-hmm. from London Heathrow into Kiev. You know, that just really isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So he has, when he starts off, he has a plan, what he thinks he's going to do. He's going to get to the Czech Republic, and then he's going to hop on one of the, the Euro trains, and he's going to be able to get he's going to have to change trains at one point but he's eventually going to go to Kiev where he knows another contact because he's been to Kiev before a few years earlier and that's how he's going to kind of get into Ukraine to see if he can find his friend but of course people are setting up roadblocks he gets derailed and things don't go as planned and so no, that's they where don't. all these settings come into play yeah and I've been to, I personally have been to quite a few of these locations. That's what I figured. In my pre- yeah, in my previous life, in my previous work, I've traveled to quite a few of these areas. Mm. And so I think that was what I drew upon to describe some of these settings, uh, to, to try to add a little bit of a detail that could you could feel it if you were a reader. Oh, I did. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I sat down and read it. I didn't know what I was reading. And then I got this copy, and then I said, oh, what the heck, I'll read over again in a truck hard copy. I read it twice. I mean, who, 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 what can a girl ask for? First of all, people from Ocean View Publishing, God bless you. You send me the books, and the font is large. It makes it so much easier to read and so much better than what I've been getting. A lot of the publishing companies are publishing the things in one font, and I actually have to take a magnifying glass. So now we have my other non-favorite character, Petrov. Why is he so stressed? 
And what happens when he winds up in the Czech Republic and why is he arrested? So, so yeah, so when Mason gets to the Czech Republic, he's yeah. thinking he's on his, yeah, he's thinking he's on his, his journey. He thinks he's, he's outsmarted the authorities. He's, you know, he, he took a, a private charter from, from England mm. into the Czech Republic. He thinks he's kind of under the radar. He gets to the train station and then bam, all of a sudden he's arrested. And it's as mm. if everybody knew what was going on. And this brings up an interesting bit about Mason. Yeah. Yeah. So when I when I thought about Mason as a character, I didn't want to have a superhuman. Yeah. Uh, I I love those stories. I think they they're, they're great stories. They're fascinating. They're intense. They make great movies as well as great books. But I wanted a character who doesn't always get it right and doesn't always have the answer. And the reason I wanted that is from my own life, either as a Marine or as an intelligence officer, mm-hmm. nothing's ever perfect or goes as planned. And uh, you don't always mm-hmm. have the answer. And you don't always make the best decision that somebody from the outside or looking in hindsight would make. You know, sometimes I've had people who read the book and say, why did Mason do that? He should have jumped in the car or he should have done this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, the reason he did that is because he didn't know what was going on. He was getting shot at, so you got your adrenaline's pumping, you're scared, you don't know if there's keys in the car. If you try to jump in the car and the door's locked, well, then you're stuck because you're getting shot at and now you're exposed. And you only have a limited amount of view in some of these situations. It's not like in the movies where you mm-hmm. know everything that's happening around the people that are that are in the fight. You only have a little bit. You don't know what's around this corner or around that corner. So you make decisions in high-pressure environments with limited information. So that's what I tried to do with Mason. He isn't an all-knowing superhuman, and he can't you know predict everything that's going to come. So... He gets himself into situations either because he's not a trained expert and he made the best decision he thought was the best decision at the time or because he has limited information is reacting. So that's what happens in the Czech Republic in Prague at the train station. He doesn't know that people have already been alerted to him traveling and going after his mm. friend Delgado. And that's when the authorities pick him up. And that's when his whole plan is just kind of knocked off the rails and he's got to figure it out. Well, if a book was so perfect and everything was perfect, it wouldn't be credible from the person that's read a lot of books. If yeah. if he didn't have some kind of crisis or some kind of conflict or some kind of we want to smack the villain in the head for trying to hurt the you know, the good guy, it probably wouldn't be credible because after all, there would be no there would, would be boring. Oh yeah, well okay, he did it right, he did it right, he didn't get in trouble. But I was just worried he was going to get really hurt. Not good. So, there's another character. There's Zach, and we don't trust him, and neither did Mason. And who is Rick? But before I forget, because I don't want to forget, okay, the, the broadcast I was supposed to do Monday, which was um, on the 12th, which was Midnight Call, has been moved to March 23rd. That's all I will tell you about that. On the 14th, we have her sister's death. On the 19th, this is really going to be difficult for me. 
It's going to be talking about hospice and grief, and we're going to talk about the banking and lending systems and the economy, because that's what the person wants to talk about. On the 20th, what better way to end December than with one of my favorite people, D.P. Lyle, Tolly Man. Now, that is really cool. And we're going to start in January on the 4th with not only then the most prolific writer on this planet, Vincent Zandri. We're going to talk about Pulp Fiction. I learned so much doing this, let me tell you. So, who is Zach and why don't we trust him and why doesn't Mason trust him and who is Rick? Yeah, so Zach and Rick. So, Mason has now been detained. He's in. He's still in the Prague train station, and Zach comes to see him. And Zach gives him the story that you know, he's a part of the embassy. He knows Doug, and he's there to help him. Mason doesn't really trust that though, but yeah. he goes along with it because he doesn't really have another option. You know, Mason. You know, it, it, there's a there's a line in the book at one point that. You know, Mason is like, I'm not, it's not like I'm going to bust out of here like a jailbreak. So he's kind of got to go with it. What happens, though, is as Zach is taking Mason out of the train station, this other character shows up named Rick. We don't know much about Rick either, but Rick is his own suspicious individual. Mm. I won't say what kind of happens yet. I'll leave that to the readers. But the short of it is, again, this is where Mason is put into a very complex and very uh, intense and sudden situation where he's having to make split-second decisions. And because of that, because he doesn't trust people, and because everything kind of goes wrong really, really fast, Mason is now on the run. Before he was on a methodical plan, he thought, Mm -hmm. to make his way to Ukraine, now he's on the run. He's lost everything. He feels like he's being hunted not only by his own government, but the European authorities, he believes the Ukrainians or maybe the Russians or somebody else is after him. He's on the run. So when he flees, you know, that's when the story mm-hmm. intensity really ratchets up because now he's on this journey. I know, and it was a dangerous one, too. I really felt that he should have armor, a suit of armor to protect him, seriously. Or, or, or somebody, you know, big like the Hulk to, you know, help him fight. Because he said he wants to get hurt. So yeah. why does Basin visit a man named Stanislav? And what does he want and why does he turn against him? Everybody's turning against my yeah, favorite so, guy. <laughs> yeah, so Stanislav, again, he's a, he's a minor character that comes out and, as mm. I said before, you know, after Mason left the Marine Corps and he moved to London and he started working with uh, some investment and banking firms, he he got to know a lot of people around the world that could help him, you know, when he would go do research, all above board, all legal stuff, uh, you know, points of contacts, you know, that he could, you know, for hypothetically – if he was going to the point, the port of Mersin in Turkey, you know, he would know port officials. He'd know uh, people who operate at the port and shipping brokers and all these types of people that if he was doing research about the capacity of the port, he could go there and actually talk to these people, in addition to research that he could conduct online or through official government sources. Mm. Stanislav is a contact that he used to go on a tour around the Black Sea to look at possible 
construction locations for uh, natural gas and oil coming out of the Russian Federation. And if you know, if you were to Google these things, sure enough, there are you know construction mm -hmm. projects going on in the Black Sea and in, in, in different places in Europe for Russian natural gas and other type of energy or natural resources. So uh, that's where Stanislav is. He's an old contact that Mason says, okay, I still need to get into Ukraine. I still need to ha help my friend. Mm -hmm. Who do I know that could potentially help me? Who knows, who knows how to get around this area of Romania, Bulgaria, Moldova? Who knows this area? And he, gets in, he calls up Stanislav. Well, he doesn't call up. He goes and knocks on Stanislav's door and interrupts Stanislav having dinner with his family. Well, that's what makes the book so credible because you're using your personal experience and research. So it's real, and, and I felt like it was really happening. And sometimes when I read these books, I go like, why is that happening, and why am I reading it? <laughs> and sometimes the character, yeah, like you said, the main character is always beating the H out of everybody, and he, they're just like, that doesn't happen in real life. So here's, uh, we, we've got a few more questions here. Who is Alex? And where does she come from? And what happens that changes it all? And who attacks them and why? You can't win. So sad. Yeah. So, Alex, I need to be careful what I say about this character. Okay. You don't want to give it because away. Because she, she's, she's one of the most interesting characters of the book, of what people have told yep. me. And, and I like that because I, I, had, I had a lot of fun. Uh, writing her character and the interactions mm. with Mason. But Mason gets connected to Alex, and Alex is the one who helps him get into Ukraine. Mm. I can't say too much more about... That's um, enough to say, yeah. Yeah, how it happens, but she's one of the... the uh, to most readers who I talk to, they all comment, comment on how they really enjoyed... Alex's role in the book. See, I got that too. I'm impressed today. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's there are a couple more characters. Uh, you, you can prove I read this. You can tell I read this. After, yeah. What happens is that as I, I have to post your review later, because I thought I had it on my my computer has a habit of making things disappear. So I saved the. I literally saved your your review about ten times, but I'm I'm angry with myself because I thought I had it on my notepad. I usually type things on my notepad and send it to my computer and pray that it doesn't disappear. Seriously. So we have Genevieve, Tony, Andreas, Archikos, and Georgia Lee. And how do they fit into this? I mean, there are so many characters here that I can't wait to see who you're going to bring back for the next one. Yeah. So Genevieve, she's one of these individuals that's on, for lack of a better term, on the bad guy side. You yeah. know, she works with Victor Leos, who's the international businessman. Mario is another guy in this company. Yeah. And Archigos is what... Mario calls Leo. It's basically the boss. He's calling him the boss. Mm. And that's a Greek term for the boss. And so they're all, again, connected in this international arms private military company network. And so that's who Delgado was going up against, and that's who Mason in time is finding out who mm. he's going up against. 
And all this stuff is happening in the background. And so Genevieve is someone who works works for Victor Leos. Mario works for Victor. And they're trying to figure out who the heck this Mason guy is. Because they don't know who he is. They know who Delgado is. They've been Mm. tracking him, and now they captured him. But all of a sudden, Mason kind of appears on the scene, and he's, you know, leaving a trail of um, chaos behind him trying to get into Ukraine. So they, they don't know who this guy is. They're like, is he another CIA operative? Is he somebody else? What's, it, what's going on here? So they're trying to figure that out, and that's on the other side. And the book is told in a couple different views to allow mm-hmm. you to see the complexity of the plot. And, you know, I, I like that you commented that there's quite a few characters. What I hope, though, is that mm-hmm. someone who reads it, I tried to be very simple in many ways of who these mm-hmm. characters were. Because, you know, I know you've probably read books and I know I've read books where there's just so many characters and it's so complex, I'm not able to follow anything unless I'm taking notes mm-hmm. on the side as I'm reading it. But what I, I tried to make some of the characters, yeah, so I tried to make some of the characters very straightforward with simple names that were distinct that people could, you know, track these various relationships. And I think I did that based on the, re- the response I've got from readers and reviewers. I think I achieved that, so I, I feel fortunate in that regard. But you're right, there's, there's quite a few different characters going on here. Well, I just finished your book, but I won't tell you who wrote it. And the book was good. It's just that they, it's a good thing that the person put the characters at the beginning of the book, all hundreds of them, and what they did. And I have a photographic memory, so I remembered what they did. But as a reading and writing specialist, I'm great at graphic organizers. So if I have too many characters, I take out my graphic organizers and put the names of each character and the characteristics. That's how I can do the review. When I when I do your review, when I read a book, I write the review on my notepad or my or on my computer. And by the time I finish reading the book, the review's done. It works very well. And then yeah. I don't mess up. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a weird process. Most people just write the review after they're done with the book. Now I'm done with when, when the book is done, the review's done too. And the hard part is yeah. to make sure that the questions mirror the fact that I actually like the book and that I read the book. But I won't ask the normal questions of why did you write that? Who's the cat? I don't care. You have to you know dig into it so people understand why they need to read this book. Besides the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm reading so many books about people in the Ukraine and people in Russian Federation and real life in the military. And the, the only thing I've never done, I've done thousands of panel shows, I've never done on people that were in the military and how they felt and how it affected their lives now. So I know you did, and I know Don Bentley, and I know uh, Dick Belsky, and a whole bunch. And I said, gee, that, what, that might be interesting. So yeah. who is Borisko, and why does he help? Mason, and what happens at well? Don't without giving away at the end, what's going to happen next for our guy? Yeah. So, so Barisco, he's another interesting character that I really enjoyed. Yeah, writing. I like him. Yeah, he's a he's a Ukrainian paramilitary, but he's a Ukrainian loyalist. Loyalist. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. I'm, I'm sorry. Um. So Briscoe, he's a Ukrainian loyalist who is fighting against the separatists and the Russian Federation forces that are in eastern Ukraine. And again, without 
you know, we're getting towards the latter half of the book here, so yeah. I, I don't want to reveal too much. No. But Mason eventually gets connected up with Barisco, and Barisco's got his history too. You know, Barisco knows more than he lets on in the beginning about what's going on. And essentially, Mason attaches himself to Barisco because things start becoming clearer very quickly. Mm. And what I tried to show with Barisco and Mason is that oftentimes with the men and women who have been in the armed services or firefighters or in these emergency high-stress mm. types of professions, sometimes you're, very, you're able to very quickly form a bond with someone longer than you would say mm. if you were living in a suburb of, you know, outside Philadelphia. Then the reason you do that is you assess people very fast. You can come to, come to an understanding very quickly about values and what's important, and you mm. can create a very fast bond because you have to, because life and death may depend on it. And that's what happens with Mason and Barisco. Within just a few hours and a couple days, they all of a sudden are relying on each other, both pursuing different yet connected objectives. And part of that is connected to the rescue of Delgado. Well, here's a question that nobody asked, I bet. <laughs> I'm sitting here with my paper saying, yeah, Doug, is, and Doug and Mason and Degato and a whole bunch more bad are coming back. So what happens when he comes face-to-face -face with his past? And this is not over yet, is it? Thank goodness. No, the sequel is, is being written right now. Oh, cool. And so, you're, yeah, you're right. At the end of the story, some of the questions a reader may have had going into the story, they know something's going on, they know something's there, but... You know, mm -hmm. when, when you're telling it from a certain point of view, you can't reveal everything all the time. No. So at the end, yeah, at the at the last couple chapters, some of these answers are are revealed. You know, of why this or what's that connection or this, but not everything either, because the characters they don't they don't know everything yet. They're still trying to figure some of this out. Why was why was Delgado detained? What was mm -hmm. he doing over there in these various pieces? And that sets up the sequel for some of those questions that might be answered in the second book. Uh-oh. As long as you promise not to kill Mason. You can't. <laughs> no. I, I, hope, I hope he gets tougher and can fight a little harder. He needs some martial arts, this guy. Seriously. But... Um, <laughs> Are you gonna you gonna bring um, Doug back, Delgado, and who else? Who else is coming back? Cause, and when am I getting the book? And when is it gonna be out? <laughs> I gotta so read the written, next one. Sorry, yeah. people. <laughs> it's it's being written right now, so it's being finished up right now. And um, yeah, so so Mason's gonna come back. Delgado's gonna come back, um, and, and a handful of the other characters. Uh, and there'll be some new characters, and it will. Again, it's going to be another international spy thriller that's going to be set uh, overseas in Europe. And mm -hmm. there's going to be some, you know, something tragic is going to happen right in the beginning that's going to launch Mason on another, another journey that he's got to figure out. And the key to this is try to make it reasonable to where it's like, okay, 
you know, that could that could that could happen. Well, you can't kill Delgado after because I just started to get to know him too. However, the rest of them I don't care. Are you going to? I'll have to ask this question before I go, uh, because this would be <laughs> it's a typical question. Are you going to bring in eleven just for him, or is he going to just be fighting and be smart and stay away from girls? So, that that's something that I've gone back and forth with, even with Lucy, the first. Book. I know. And <laughs> yeah, and so in the second book, we you get to know Mason at a deeper level. You get to know him really well in the first book, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. You get to know why he's in this dark place, why he has this guilt, why he's, you know, mm-hmm. why he is who he is at this point in his life. But there's some other elements. I mean, you know, you can't really know everything about the person in mm-hmm. just one book. <clears throat> so the second book is going to go a little deeper into who he is in things like his your romantic life with a, with, a, with some mm-hmm. uh, potential love interest. And, you know, why he is the person he is separate from the tragedy that has happened in his life. Well, the title says it all. If you think about the definition of landslide, it has multiple meanings, too. Not just, you know, when, when when the snow falls and there's a landslide. Well, there's just like a landslide of events and stuff like that. So the title sort of fit. That's it. See that? And yeah. I realized that when when I read it, I go, well, wait a minute, this is this is a title that could mean anything. So where can everybody find out more about you and your work? And I'm not worried about getting the book. Oceanville will send it to me the minute you make a copy. <laughs> That's what, yeah, people, uh, uh, they can come to my website. It's www.adamsykes.com. And Sykes is spelled with an I, S-I-K-E-S. So www.adamsykes.com. AdamSykes.com. I have a newsletter that goes out every month or so if people want to sign up on my website. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at, mm. at Adam underscore R underscore Sykes, uh, Instagram and Twitter. And all this is on my website. And you can find Landslide at all major bookstores as well as independent bookstores. I've done quite a few signings and events at the independent bookstores, uh, both on the West and East Coast. And again, you know, it's available at Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well. Well, Hanukkah is coming up until it's Christmas, and books make the to me the best present in the world is a book. Now, I mean, yeah. and since I've been doing book reviews, <laughs> it's the greatest thing in the world. I don't have to buy them; they just come to me, which is even better. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. So, for those of you that don't know what to get, go get a couple of dozen copies of Landslide. Get a copy of just about everything. On the, I don't, you know, I don't go by the New York Times bestseller list. I go by what I think is great. And um, next week, be ready, people, for the 2002 Just Reviews Awards. That's all I'm going to say about that. Can't tell you who it is, but there are several people that are going to be shocked on Facebook as soon as Karen makes the awards for me because I don't do that either. She's going to do them for me. I do that every year. And I can do what I want. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much. This is great. And I do hope, you know, if you do panels, let me know. And um, thank you very much. Everybody, it's raining outside. It's a, it's a rainy day. It's a good day to go out and buy a book and read. Adam, thank you so much. Feel better, please. 
Everybody well, have a great friend, day. Thank you. Everybody have a great day and bye. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.